Welcome to the Monday Morning Pastor Podcast. Hello, everyone. Really glad you could join us today. Uh, This podcast is brought to you by Kairos Partnerships. Um, Just wanted to take a minute. Uh, We're a few days away from Thanksgiving. We hope that you're entering into a good opportunity to rest, to enjoy time with friends and family. Um, but most importantly, we we just hope that you find space to be grateful for what God is doing, for what's happening in your life. Even if things are hard, there's something about gratitude that really changes us. Um, I wanted to just ask if you would take a quick moment um, and share one of our podcasts that have been really helpful for you in the last few months uh, with another pastor or a friend uh, or a leader in any capacity. And we would also really appreciate it if you would take a minute and leave us a review on Apple, on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen to your your podcasts. Um, but our guest today is author Jem Fadling, and she is the founding partner of Unhurried Living Incorporated and a certified life coach and trained spiritual director who coaches women at the intersection of spiritual leadership and soul care. She is the host of She of I Can Do That um, podcast, as well as co-author with Alan Fadling of What Does Your Soul Love? Eight Questions That Reveal God's Work in You. Uh, we had a great, I had a great time having a conversation with Jim, and I think you will too. I hope that this conversation brings you some good things to think through and helps you in your journey towards transformation to look and act more like Jesus. Jim, thank you so much for joining us on the Monday Morning Pastor today. I really appreciate you coming in. Well, thank you for having me. It's going to be great. So I have to confess, I've been greatly impacted by unhurried living. I've been reading the blog, checking out Pocket for like quite some time. Um, and so some of our listeners, like they, they may have, they may remember the, the name Fadling. And I think we have the, as your husband said, we have the better half of the Fadlings wow. who are here with us today. Um, but tell us a bit about your story and your calling to pastors and leaders. Yeah, well, you know, Unhurried Living is sort of this swan song of an organization that my husband and I have put together here in the, um, the second half of life where we get to um, bear the fruit of all God has done. But for me, you know, this journey began when I was young, you know, sitting at a table in a little house in Washougal, Washington, where my junior high leader, her name was Donna, um, just in the old school terms, you know, led me to Christ. Um, of course, then when I was 17, I rededicated, you know, all the good stuff that a, a, a former <laughs> yeah. Baptist would have done. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I just sense that God has had his hand on me all the way back. I mean, my mom just always made it clear on my dad that there was a God and they would give me Bibles for as Christmas gifts. And so as long as I can remember I've known about God, which I count as a great, great gift. And there've been people over the course of my life um, pouring in. And so, but when I was in my uh, mid twenties, I feel like that's kind of young. Maybe it's not. I just, I started to sense that there was more, you know, I'd been a Christian for a while and I already was hungry for, um, is this everything? And about the same time, of course, God put mentors in my life um, that reintroduced me to John 15 which just turned my life upside down, um, you know, um, remain in me and I will remain in you apart from me. You can do nothing. And that phrase actually, I think, has been the bedrock of my connection with God in my spiritual life pretty much since I was about 26. Apart from me, you can do nothing. 
And, you know, in that same passage, he says that I call you friends. He's, of course, he's talking to his disciples, but I'm borrowing it for myself, too. I call mm-hmm. you friends. You did not choose me. I chose you. And so over the course of my life, he has just had his hand on me. And even back to age 19, um, someone saw something in me. I graduated from the high school group at church, and the youth pastor saw that evidently I had something, and he asked me to be on staff. So I, I say this in all humility, all my life, I have sensed that there was a leadership aspect to who I am. And, and evidence has proved that out in that I just have served with my husband in church ministry for all those years. We were in the same nonprofit after that. And now we've created our own nonprofit. Um, and I want to say this too, this is a little sweet thing that um, I haven't said to many people. Um, but my dad, at one point when I was young, he said, you know, Jem, um, you're going to be the kind of person that people want to follow. Mm. So I now, as an adult, of course, count those words given to a child who didn't even really know what that meant. I count that as the greatest blessing next to my name. My dad named me too, Jem. Um, mm. Those two blessings are the greatest gift he ever gave. So maybe in a way, God is fulfilling my dad's prayer slash blessing. Um, so yeah, does that answer your question? You asked a question about leadership. I've gone no. all over the place already. <laughs> yeah, this is all, no, this is so good. Well, and, and I think too, uh, one of the things that I've noticed that I, I listened to a podcast you were on recently and you talked about how you sort of combined these, these beautiful practices of life coaching and spiritual direction into this mm-hmm. cohesive calling. And I think there's su- such a cool, like, I love the name for it, but I feel like you had such a, there's such a uniqueness about your life in terms of yeah. who God's asking you to become. And I've just really appreciated a lot of that, but I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit even about the way that you've combined both life coaching and spiritual direction. I'm a spiritual director as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm also a full-time pastor, but there's something about that work of spiritual direction and life coaching and the way that you're helping pastors and leaders enter into this, these new unforced rhythms of grace. And, and I love the way you're look, picking up John 15. Anyways, can you talk a little bit more about the, the, the cohesion of those two sort of unique gifts? Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm imagining that anyone who is a purist uh, on either end, <laughs> a life coach purist or a spiritual is probably going, Jem, what are you doing? But see, you're like, I, I'm leading. I'm unique. <laughs> I do this. <laughs> I'm doing, I'm doing it my way. Of course. Um, I, um, I love both. I've been a mm. spiritual director since 2006 or seven. So it's, it's, you know, and so that training that was implanted, I have a couple certifications, just what a spiritual director is actually changed my life. I mean, not only was I trained, obviously, to hold space for others, but who, how I envision what God is up to on our behalf and on the behalf of another person, how much I learned to respect the person in front of me to listen. I just feel like everything that the is at the heartbeat of being a spiritual director is a beautiful thing for human beings to know how to do. So um, I can't give up what a spiritual director is because I believe it's, it's at the center, even of pastoral leadership. Can you be present? Can you listen well? Can you trust that God actually has the person on a transformational journey that he himself is over or in or around, right? So mm. then what gets to be built into you, hopefully then is a little bit of humility, which I think we all need. 
Amen. <laughs> so I love the heart of a spiritual, but I'm also temperamentally, I'm a, I'm a cheerleader. Mm. You can do it. There are possibilities. God is big, you know, go for it. You know, yes, discern. So I think there's beautiful aspects of both. And that's why I combine them. I call myself a soul care coach. Mm. I don't know if that exists, um, but it was the best I could do to come up with what I thought was the combination of the two. And so that's how I function, whether I'm talking to one person or a group. I make all the same assumptions mm. that God is present, that God is at work. I offer my best. People do what they will. Hopefully we're making progress. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I, cause I think, I think what was interesting is, as I heard about it, I thought that's such a, it's, it makes a lot of sense in the, in terms of as spiritual directors, I think sometimes there is this place of allowing our personalities to influence how we do spiritual direction too. Right. And so like, as a life coach, you're a, you're an encourager and it's like, that's, that, that shows up, right. That's not going to, you're not going to put that on the back burner, but that's going to show up in the way that you are being present with others and, and seeing God showing up in other people's eyes. So that's, that's awesome. So, all right. I've recently had a chance to read through your book and um, thank you so much for taking the time to write it. Uh, I know it is never easy, um, but yeah, real it's hold that thought sorting through the voices in our heads and what if you could have a conversation with someone to say, here's the 30,000 foot view of why you wrote this book and who, who it's for, what would you say? Yeah, well, yeah, that's such a great question, who it's for. In one, on one hand, of course, whenever we write a book, we could say, well, it's for everybody, of course. Um, in my heart, as I was writing this, I won't lie, I was thinking in particular about women, although you said you read the book, and I don't think you've, you probably don't feel like, oh, this is a chick book. You know? No, not at all. <laughs> it's, not it's, at all. It is for anyone, but in my heart, there's just been this growing passion for the, um, the life journey of a woman. And so as I wrote this book about thoughts, which, you know, it's birthed out of, of course, Romans 12, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Um, this another phrase that is really an undercurrent here is that you are not your thoughts. You can step back from your thoughts. And then this other quote, which is uh, from Viktor Frankl, which is between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space mm. lies our power to choose. And in our choice lies our growth and our freedom. So taking these, um, these ideas and really drilling down. So I guess this book is for someone who might feel like at times they have become a slave to the, to the merry-go-round or the drone of the voices inside their heads that keep spinning. And they'd like to learn how to see them and then discern them and then make an informed decision as opposed to feeling like they're in control. Mm, that's yeah, that's, that's awesome. So one of the things that I also noticed is you seem to make this beautiful connection as you point to, uh, and this idea of Trinitarian love and being part with thought work, not these really separate pieces. Can you talk to that a bit? Because I think that that's a little, I want to say radical in the sense where I'd, I've never heard anyone talk about those things connected. Yeah. So yeah. Can you talk about that a bit? Yeah. Well, I guess we're back. I guess we're back to John 15, right? Apart from me, you can do nothing. <laughs> so, mm. <laughs> uh, mm. A lot of, 
a lot of things implicitly come through me, I hope, that allude to that beautiful reality. So um, the Trinity has become more in the forefront of my thinking in the last handful of years, because about, I don't know, eight years ago, um, Alan and I moved into the Anglican Church, and our church is actually called Holy Trinity Church. Hmm. And so, um, whereas before, I, I don't know, I had different ideas or different relationships with the Father, Son, and Spirit, they've become one because the teaching we've received has been so lovely that the, the Trinity is this beautiful embrace of a relationship where everyone in humility points in love to the other without ego, you know, and um, I don't know, I just, I loved that image. And then we mm. are invited into the Trinitarian embrace right? Remain in me and I will remain in you. It says I, but I think it's the I of the three. So mm. when I write a book on thoughts, I wanted to make sure that people weren't just like chopping this part of ourselves off and going off in a corner and just working on thoughts because we do, we have mm. feelings, we have intuitions, yeah. we have bodies. We are one beautifully crafted, you know, entity I am talking about thoughts in this book because your book can only be so long and you kind of have to pick a topic. <laughs> but if you're going to do thought work, it was really important for me to say out loud that the twin rail of that is, can you do as much work on receiving the embrace of the loving Trinity as you are with what's going on in your brain? Because I promise you, the more you open up to God's love, the freer you become to deal with what's going on. So that's why I wanted to connect them. Yeah. What do you think happens to the person who keeps them very separate? Oh, well, so let's think of it from the side of thought work. I mean, if you take just your thoughts and you're off in a corner by yourself trying to manage them, it's, it's pretty unwieldy and overwhelming. Mm. And I think it could get lonely. And where, how are you going to discern? If not for mm. the, at least the acknowledgement of the spirit within you right? Um, the, the companionship of Jesus with you in what it is you're suffering as you're having these thoughts. So I just, I don't even, I suppose it could be done. You know, you could be all about the Trinity and not thinking about your thoughts. And now you're, because when you, when you're unaware of something, you know how that, how that works out, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> it just doesn't work for you. It doesn't work for people around you. So to be unaware is just not helpful. So I, I suppose it's possible to go a ways into life, keeping them separate. Um, but I don't think ultimately it works out. Mm, I would agree. I, I think, and I think that's what I appreciate about a lot of the stories that you have within the book is it feels like these are stories of whole, whole people, not just, you know, not just the brains that are thinking, but, but how this is impacting all of our life and everything that we are and all that we have. Um, it's interesting because even you, you talked in your first chapter, and, and this is the first time I've, I've read this idea about the inner observer. Um, and I think it's crucial for pastors and leaders. C can you talk about what that is, that inner observer? Yeah, that was a phrase that I learned in, um, I have a couple of certificates, and I was trained at first by a community in a monastery, which was lovely. Mm. Um, and that I was introduced to the idea of the inner observer, and it was just a term I imagine I've I've said it to some psychologists and they're familiar with that term. I wasn't at the time, but all it is, is that aspect of you that could be just a little bit objective. You know, when we're talking about thoughts and voices, I want to make sure everybody knows we're, we're not being woo woo here. I mean, you know, I mean, Doug, you know, don't you have conversations with yourself in your head? Oh my gosh. 
I mean, we too all, many to count. We all do. We all do. And there's voices, you know, it could be some old voice from an old teacher or a coach coming in or just something you picked up or threw off that you didn't. And it's your own voices. It could be temptations. Who knows what's in there? But there is an aspect of us that can take one step back and you can call it, if you want to, the inner observer. So instead of just this cacophony, remember that sentence I said at the beginning, you are not your thoughts. Mm -hmm. If that's the case, then that means I could step back and look at what what's going on in there. And that's a beautiful gift. I mean, talk about the intricacy of how God has crafted us, mm. that I can be having thoughts, but also look at my thoughts. That's a, that's a mind blower. So the inner observer yeah. is just that part that's stepping back. So I can catch myself in the middle of the day, I can find myself all tense or anxious. My, my go-tos are perfectionism, perfectionism and anxiety. Those are, I just, I just go there. If I catch myself in one of those during the day, I could, I could start listening. I could hear a voice like, you don't have enough time for this. Why did you say yes to this? This is never going to happen. Well, another aspect of me could just step back and go, well, yeah, I hear you. <laughs> that may or may not be true. But how about this? Um, that repetition is really making me tired and it's keeping me from creativity. So I see you, you know, and you can do whatever work you need to do, but you can also make a pivot at some point and just say, for now, I'm going to switch over to another train of thinking, which is God is with me. I'm doing my best. I'm going to offer my best. And I'm, I'd rather at least make an attempt at taking a breath and moving forward in peace if I can. So that's hmm. a very tiny, practical little moment in the middle of the day. Yeah, I really appreciate that because there, I think sometimes people can think about something like thinking about your thought life and, and healing thoughts and working through that as this real meta, you know, <laughs> like I need to get out in the woods somewhere and just sit and it'll all sort of come. And, but I appreciate how, even with what you just did, it's just really simple, practical yeah. work. It's just noticing and naming and, yeah. and figuring out how, you know. Uh, even having that, uh, that objective spot where you can be like, okay, that's not really true. Right. Exactly. I feel that, but that's not, that's not actually the truth of what's going on. Exactly. Um, so, you know, it's interesting because I, I, I love the heart that you have for, for women. And like, there seems to be this very special calling on your life to, to call women out of the shadows, like out of the paces where they have not been invited to tables and to say, like come into this fullness of who God has created you to be, whether it's pastors, leaders, thought leaders, whatever those things may be. What are some of the thoughts that are running through the heads of women pastors right now? Like some of those negative thought processes that are running through their heads? Yeah. Well, I can't predict exactly what's going through their minds. I know what's gone on in mine over the course of time, mm. which, and again, um, I don't know exactly how this happened. I mean, Sure, we can have a talk about sexism if we wanted to, but we know what's going yeah. on. But let me make a point. I have very often felt as though my voice didn't matter. Huh. I could sit around and blame if I want to. And of course, I could point to culture. I could point to even culture within the church. I could point to my own upbringing or whatever happened to me. There's always a, um, a, a collaboration of things that make that happen. But I felt for the first half of my life, I didn't have a voice and I didn't trust my voice. 
and I didn't know my mind, all those kinds of phrases. And so over the course of time, as I continued to lean into my own process of transformation with God, especially in midlife, which is just that, that horrible middle where everything comes undone, you know, the regrets, um, the concerns, whatever, you know, so I, I did a really good hard stint of therapy right in that place. Mm. And I found personal freedom through what God was doing in me, but also through some real help. And so when I came out of that and I sensed a freedom that I didn't know before and a confidence that I didn't know before to, to know what I think, to know what I want, to speak it out, something in me grew. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is possible. Mm -hmm. I did it. You know, I don't have an MDiv or anything. I still did it. <laughs> so, but then something in me just was lit a fire. Like, I want other women to know that you can just lean in with God and he is transforming you. You can cooperate. And I can't predict what exactly will happen for you. But because I know what happened to me, I believe it's possible. We can find our voice, we can use our voice, and we can be unafraid to do so. Now, not without grace, not without love, not without discernment, but certainly with agency, with confidence, um, with God confidence. And I feel like when you're, because I appreciated you, you, you spoke about the voice before, you know, mm -hmm. what, what was the voice before and what does it look like to develop the voice that you are becoming? Yeah. And, and my sense, I remember as a young pastor, I really struggled with that too, because, you know, especially with the age of the internet, it's like you can listen or podcasts, you can listen to these amazing preachers and teachers and you're like, dude, I'm just little Doug. I mean, I stumble over words. I have ADHD, I'm, <laughs> you know, a little quirky about different things. But I think there's something really beautiful when, when a pastor, male or female, just recognizes like, man, God made me really unique, really special. Mm -hmm. And so the best way for me to honor and bring glory to God is just to be me, to like step into the fullness of, of who I am. But I'm thinking about the yeah. pastor right now who, who may be a little bit younger um, and they're just struggling to find their voice. What, what may be yeah. a way that they can begin to practice finding that voice? Yeah. I don't know if this answer is going to surprise you, but at the same time as I met these mentors and they uh, brought John 15 to the front, one of them also was a master at teaching us how to engage in solitude and silence, hmm. which at Unhurried Living, we call unhurried time with God, which just means you're setting aside time to not produce, right? To be. Now, I know you asked me about young leaders and young leaders may or may not think this is an interesting idea, but stay with me. <laughs> I'm bringing this up because I believe with all my heart that me learning how to set aside just an hour, like I would go to a park when he taught me this. Um, I just took my beach chair to a park and I sat it down and I sat there for an hour and he said, just sit and see what happens, you know? Mm. And, and I practiced now. Whatever happens in that hour, God was with me, right? I might have prayed. My mind probably was chattering for 45 minutes of the 60. Sure. Maybe at the very end, there was some sort of insight or some nugget I felt God gave me either from scripture, or just something perfect for my own life. So sure, I could describe to you what happened, but I'll tell you what actually happens over the course of a lifetime. 
these times carve out a space inside of you. Hmm. If you think about it as whatever works for you, either this big room that keeps expanding, or maybe it's the idea of a reservoir that can, continues to get filled with water. That practice makes a space inside of you. And over the course of time, that space is what gives you the ability to do what we're talking about. It bolsters mm. the inner observer. It's the place where you can go to discern what you're seeing. It's the space that, that says to you, you know, you have time for this. Why don't you take a minute to see what's really going on so you don't have to keep spinning like this all day long? Um, that space that you're building up inside of you by faith, because again, like I said, if you set aside an hour or two hours or even 20 minutes and you go, well, I didn't get anything. I don't know what happened. You may not know in the minute, but something real is happening in your soul. And so I would say this to any young pastor, any young leader, start anywhere. I did one hour a month. And then it mm. moved to half a day a month or a day a month as I over the decades, right? Yeah. Start somewhere and let God be with you in some silence because some other things happen that are really important for young leaders. Again, how is humility going to be formed in you? Unless you, you say, unless you say for this one hour, I don't have to be anything, do anything, prove anything, look for anybody else's accolade. I'm sitting here with God alone. That will do something to you. I agree. I, I remember being at a youth specialties conference with Mike Iaconelli, uh, and he, he said, you all need to stop doing all this stuff and stop trying to plan everything and just pick an out, pick like three hours a month and sit outside with the Lord somewhere. And I remember thinking, this is honestly, I was like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> and, and then I started trying it and it's, you're right. It's interesting because. I think there's that temptation that leaders have too, of like, okay, well, I'm going to sit here, but I should probably bring a journal and a book and like these 15 different yeah. items just in case, you know, something. And it's like now it's, it's after, you know, 18 years of practicing it almost yeah. monthly. It's, I, I, I can't live without it. And I can't even tell you the most important thing that has happened in those times, except for the fact that it's, it's, it reminds me of Luke five when, yeah. Jesus heals a man with leprosy and it says he often withdrew to lonely places to pray. And it's like, yeah, yeah, that's like, what did he do? He withdrew to lonely places to pray. Like, I don't know what else to tell you, but yeah. 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 I, I thank you. I feel like I, I hope, I hope that if you're a senior pastor listening right now, you you're actually you're sending it, you're crafting an email mm -hmm. to say, Hey staff, uh, next Tuesday, uh, don't come into the office, go somewhere for three, four hours and then come in when you're done and just share your experience. Oh um, man. We, we just, we just started practicing that as a staff, um, yeah. back in June and it's been once one Tuesday a month, we, we, we do staff meeting with Jesus and it's just, we either meet at a park, it's getting cold. So we got to figure out what to do. I got to find some some monastery or something that yeah. hasn't kicked us out already <laughs> for being too rowdy. Um, but, but I think that there's something really important about that. And uh, yeah, sorry, I, this no. is really huge because I oh. think developing that is important. Oh, I, we have to pause on that. I mean, yes, yes, yeah. yes. Amen. With exclamation points. If a senior pastor or executive pastor, if you're over the staff, I think what Doug just said is critical because, you know, it's one thing to have a mission and a vision statement and to say things to your, to your staff or even to your people about what you want them to do. Um, 
but to practice it yourself, to, in, to engage your team, to practice these things that we say are central together and to let it be a part of their job instead of just, well, because in back in the day, you know, there were, I came up through the, the big, you know, the churches in the eighties, you know, and yeah. you know, there was a lot of uh, beautiful talk and teaching and, oh, the scripture. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and yet these implicit things weren't there. We would say we believe something, but we didn't behave as though we did mm. believe it. So I love mm. what you just said. I would underscore that's that's what unhurried living is all about anyway. Yes. So to 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 encourage yourself, your team during what you might call office hours. What else is a pastor going to do if they don't be with God? <laughs> right. It's kind of silly to yeah. laugh at. But I know I know a lot of churches don't function in that way where they prioritize within the work week that you would have listening to God as an, a very important aspect of that. Hmm. Yeah. Yes. I, I feel like we could probably just hit the pause button and just keep talking about this for the next 45 minutes to a couple <laughs> hours. Cause I, I think there's such deep resonance with, with what, with what you do at unhurried living. And even just with what, I mean, you know, we've, we've listened to the podcast of the falling apart of churches, oh, right? Totally. And, and, and we, we've heard this story and it's funny because I was thinking about that with your chapter, when you talked about complaining victims mm -hmm. versus walking in freedom. And I think it's like, okay, so we know what not to do, but instead of staying focused on what not to do, how do we begin to make that transition to be like, oh, but this is who we are. Like, yeah. this is what we're called to. Yeah. Um, and, and my sense is over the pandemic, many leaders have found the complaining victim voice oh. being pretty loud in their life and rightfully so, right? There has yeah. been some hard stuff that has been walked through that is still on us, but like what encouragement would you have towards people who are, who are recognizing that they're tired of complaining, they're, they're tired of focusing on the hurt so much and they're sensing yeah. God is inviting them into the transformative life of walking in freedom. Like, what would that look like? So the invitation, invitation of the, well, let's, let's talk about the complaining victim for a minute. You know, let's also acknowledge the fact that you're absolutely right. I mean, it's been a minute, right? The last couple of years. Mm. <laughs> oh my goodness. We are all under a, 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 an extreme layer of some version of stress, anxiety, overwhelm, depression. I mean, most of the leaders we talk to have lost approximately half of their congregation. They are reeling. Um, el elder elder pastors are retiring. Younger ones are considering quitting. It's it's rough right now, and so I do want to acknowledge that and at least say right here that um, we hold you in our heart, in our hearts, and we trust that God is with you in this as we as we keep moving. So, yes, the complaining victim can come out easily, though, because this has been really rough. There's so many reasons to complain right now. Oh, my goodness. Just turn on the news or get on social media or I don't know. So um, but some of the things the complaining victim says in our minds, you know, why does this happen to me? I don't have time for this. My whole day is messed up now. Nothing goes the way I want. And then here's the big one. If only they would change. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'd be so much better. So I think maybe one of the, one of the 
answers for the complaining victim is to just kind of get right-sized, you know, get small. It's okay to be small in God's big hands. Take things a little at a time, a moment at a time if you need to. I think within that, though, instead of just getting small and just getting in the moment, give yourself permission from that place to take even the tiniest step, right? Yes, make some boundaries if you need them. Learn to say your yeses and your noes. Um, but you don't have to be stuck behind the complaints and the frustration. And I know, because we just acknowledged COVID, that some of us are in some real hurt. We might need a spiritual director, a coach, some extra pastoring, or even some therapy for ourselves. But within that, um, see if you can get in touch with the expansiveness of God so that that complaining, the victim, the one that feels under, oppressed, pushed down, that voice doesn't get behind the wheel. Actually, there's a beautiful um, illustration I use in the book. It's the inner dining table. Yes. I love the dining table. So I think that might be a good way to talk about this. For example, you find yourself in the middle of the day, you catch yourself with one of these thoughts and you get awake enough to go, oh, that sounds like the complaining victim. Well, inside of you, you can just picture this rectangular dining table. You know, in the old days in Ozzy and Harriet, they would have, that's dating me, right? I don't, does anybody even know who that is? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm tracking with you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the dad is at one end, the mom is at the other, the kids are on the side. In, in your own life, um, you are the head of your own dining table. So what happens is the complaining victim pushes you out and is now sitting at the head seat calling the shots. But when you notice is when you turn over and you look and you go, oh, my goodness, look who's sitting there. That's noticing. Then you can walk over gently because we never condemn or shame ourselves. We say, thank you so much. I hear you. I see you. Um, would you please have a seat over here? And you just have them move to the side of the table. We don't have to even kick them out or guilt anybody. You sit down at the head of the table with this inner observer, you know, agency that we talked about before. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, with IFS language, you would, you would try then to befriend this voice. Thank you so much. I know you've had a lot of pressure. Now you're talking to yourself, right? You've been under a lot of pressure. I can see why you would feel this way right now. Cause wow, it's been a couple of years, hmm. but how about this? Um, I'm going to do my best right now to lead us you know, all the parts of me, I'm going to lead us now in a way that I feel will be more helpful. So that's you, that's you taking some time to discern and get a different kind of response. Right. So again, I hope that's practical. I love that illustration because it's very tangible. Agreed. Yeah. And, and I think, again, the book has been so helpful because I appreciate the metaphors, the images, the questions at the end of the chapter. I, I think every pastor that I've ever had contact with or chatted with for more than 15 minutes, we all have these voices in our heads. We all have these thoughts that run and it's, it, they're condemning voices, they're voices of comparison, they're voices of all these different things. And I feel like this is so helpful for us, um, for us in ministry and leader and any kind of leadership just to say, okay, there, there are, there is this grace that God has for us to begin to notice them and also to begin to, to put them in the right place. And so, uh, Jim, I feel like this has been such a great conversation, but uh, we're, we're coming to a close. Can you leave us, before you leave us with a benediction, can you tell our listeners where to, where to check you out, where to find you um, and, and some of those pieces? 
Yeah. So um, we are Unhurried Living. So unhurriedliving.com, where it's also Unhurried Living on Instagram and Facebook. And if you want to follow me specifically, especially if you're a, a female leader, my personal Instagram, which is my name, Jem Fadling, I'm doing, you know, Instagram version soul care coaching on my feed. So follow me there. Um, and, um, especially again, for any female pastors who are listening, I just reopened my, my membership. It's called replenish. It's a community of women that are supporting one another. And you can check that out at unhurriedliving.com slash replenish. We're growing a community of women who want to link arms and lean into what God has for them and not be alone in it. So it's beautiful. Excellent. Can you leave us with a benediction? Yeah, this is this is the verse I really unpack in the book. And I just love it because it's the whole Trinity. We're back to Trinitarian love again. Um, but if we talked about all these other voices, if you're going to look for the voice of God, this is the tone. OK, this is the tone of, of God, the Father, the Son and the Spirit as they speak into your heart and your mind. And it's Second uh, Corinthians 13, 14. It says, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. 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 Amen.